0: Chapter Seventeen of The Stolen Singer by Martha Fletcher Bellinger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Mme Chapter Seventeen: The Turn of the Tide. Lights in a country house at night are often the signal of birth or death, sometimes of both the old red house threw its beacon from almost every window that night and seemed mutely to defy the onslaught of enveloping darkness whether plutonic or stygian time was when parson thayer's library lamp burned nightly into the little hours and through the uncurtained windows the churchyard ghosts had they wandered that way could have seen his long thin form wrapped in a paisley cloth dressing-gown sitting in the glow he would have been reading some old leather-bound volume and would have remained for hours almost as quiet and noiseless as the ghosts themselves now he had stepped across his threshold and joined them and new spirits had come to burn the light in the old red house agatha half-dressed had slept and woke feeling that the night must be far advanced the house was very still with no sound or echo of the incoherent tones which for now many days had come from the room down the hall she lit a candle and the sputtering match seemed to fill the house with noise her clock indicated a little past midnight it was only twenty minutes since she had lain down but she was wide awake and refreshed while she was pinning up her hair in a big mass on the top of her head she heard in the hall slow steady steps firm but not heavy even as in daytime susan stoddard did not tiptoe agatha was at the door before she could knock you had better come for a few minutes mrs stoddard said the tones were in themselves an adjuration to faith and fortitude yes i will come said agatha they walked together down the dimly lighted hall each woman in her own way proving how strong and efficient is the discipline of self-control in the sick room a screen shaded the light from the bed which had been pulled out almost into the middle of the room near the bed was a table with bottles glasses a covered pitcher and on the floor an oxygen tank dr thayer's massive figure was in the shadow close to the bed and alec van camp leaned over the curved footboard james lay on his pillow a ghost of a man still as death itself as agatha grew accustomed to the light she saw that his eyes were closed the lips under the ragged beard were drawn and slightly parted his forehead was the pallid forehead of death in life neither the doctor nor aleck moved or turned their gaze from the bed as agatha and mrs Stoddard entered the air was still and the profound silence without was as a mighty reservoir for the silence within agatha stood by the footboard beside aleck while mrs stoddard getting a warm freestone from the invisible mr hunt in the hall placed it beneath the bedclothes aleck van Camp dropped his head covering his face with his hands agatha watching by and by saw a change come over the sick man's face she held her breath it seemed for untold minutes while dr thayer reached his hand to the patient's heart and leaned over to observe more closely his face see she whispered to alec touching his shoulder lightly he is looking at us when alec looked up james was indeed looking at them with large serious half-focused eyes it was as if he were coming back from another world where the laws of vision were different and he was only partially adjusted to the present conditions he moved his hands feebly under the bedclothes where they had been warmed by the freestone and then tried to moisten his lips agatha took a glass of water from the table looked about for a napkin but seeing none wet the tips of her fingers and placed them gently over james's lips his eyes followed her at first but closed for an instant as she came near when they opened again they looked more natural as he felt the comfort of the water on his lips his features relaxed and a look of recognition illumined his face his eyes moved from agatha to aleck who was now bending over him and back to agatha the look was a salute happy and peaceful then his eyes closed again for an hour agatha and aleck kept their watch almost fearing to breathe doctor Thayer worked gave quiet orders tested the heartbeats let no movement or symptom go unnoticed for a time james kept even the doctor in doubt whether he was slipping into the great unknown or into a deep and convalescent sleep by the end of the hour however jimsy had decided for natural sleep urged thereto perhaps by that unseen playwright who had decreed another time for the curtain or perhaps he was kept by dr thayer's professional persuasions in defiance of the prompter's signal however the case the heart slowly but surely began to take up its job like an honest force pump the face began to lose its death-like pallor the breathing became more nearly normal dr thayer with mrs Stoddard, quiet and efficient at his elbow worked and tested and worked again and finally sat moveless for some minutes watch in hand counting the pulsations of james's heart at the end of the time he laid the hand carefully back under the clothes put his watch in his pocket and finally got up and looked around the room mrs stoddard was pouring something into a measuring glass agatha was standing by the window looking out into the blue night and Alec could be seen through the half-open door, pacing up and down the hall. Dr. Thayer turned to his sister. "'Give him his medicine on the half-hour, and then you go to bed. That man-hand will do now.' Then he went to the door and addressed Alec. "'Well, Mr. Van Camp, unless something unexpected turns up, I think your cousin will live to jump overboard again.' offhand as the words were there was unmistakable satisfaction happiness even triumph in his voice and he returned alec's hand-clasp with a vice like grip his masculinity ignored agatha or pretended to but she had followed him to the door as the old man clasped hands with alec he heard behind him a deep oh doctor the next instant Agatha's arms were around his neck, and the back of his bald head was pressed against something that could only have been a cheek. Surprising as this was, the doctor did not stampede, but by the time he had got clear of Alan, and had reached up his hand to find the cheek, it was gone. And the arms, too. Susan Stoddard somehow got mixed up in the General Tidim in the hall, and for the first time, now that the fight was over allowed her feminine feelings that is a few tears to come to the surface aleck however went to pieces gone down in that species of mental collapse by which deliberate judicial men become reckless and strong men become weak he stepped softly back into the bedroom and leaned again over the curved footboard his face quite miserable he went nearer and held his ear down close to the bedclothes to hear for himself the regular beating of the heart slowly he convinced himself that the doctor's words might possibly be true at least he turned to hand who had come in and was adjusting the shades and asked him do you believe he's asleep in the tone of one who demands an oath oh yes sir he's sleeping nicely mr van Camp. i saw the change the moment i came in alec still hesitated to leave fearful apparently lest he might take the blessed sleep away with him as he stood by the bed a low but distinct whistle sounded outside then after a moment's interval was repeated alec lifted his head at the first signal took another look at james and one at hand then light as a cat he darted from the room and down the stairs leaving the house through one of the tall windows in the parlor Mr. Chamberlain was standing near the lilac bushes, his big figure outlined dimly in the darkness. Shut up! Alec whispered fiercely as he ran toward him. He's just got to sleep, Chamberlain. Gone to sleep. Like a baby. Don't make an infernal racket. Oh, I didn't know. Didn't mean to make a racket, began Chamberlain, when Alec plumped into him and shook him by the shoulders. He's asleep. "'Like a baby,' he reiterated. "'And Chamberlain, wise comrade, took Alec by the arm "'and tramped him off over the hill to settle his nerves. "'They walked for an hour, arm in arm, over the road "'that lay like a grey ribbon before them in the night, "'winding up slantwise along the rugged country. "'Don was awake on the hills, a mile away, "'and by and by Alec found Tom to tell the story of the night, "'which was good for him.' He talked fast and unevenly and even extravagantly chamberlain listened and loved his friend in a sympathy that spoke for itself though his words were commonplace enough by the time they had circled the five-mile road and were near the house again aleck was something like himself though still unusually excited chamberlain mentioned casually that miss reynier had been anxious about him and that all his friends at the big hotel had worried finally he chamberlain had set out for the old red house thinking he could possibly be of service in any case glad to be near his friend and by the way chamberlain added you may be interested to hear that i got on the track of that beggar who ate the hermit's eggs took a tramp this morning and found him held up at a kind of sailor's inn waiting for money Grouchy old party no wonder his men shipped him alec at first took but feeble interest in chamberlain's discoveries he was still far from being his precise judicial self he let chamberlain talk on scarcely noticing what he said until suddenly the identity of the man whom chamberlain was describing came home to him agatha's story flashed back in his memory he stopped short in his tracks halting his companion with a stretched-out forefinger look here chamberlain he said i've been half loony and didn't take in what you said if that's the owner or proprietor of the jeanne d'arc a man known as monsieur chatelard french accent blonde, above medium size prominent white teeth we want him right away he kidnapped miss redmond in new york and i shouldn't wonder if he kidnapped old jim and stole the yacht besides he's a bad one mr chamberlain had the air of humoring a lunatic well what's to be done is it a case for the law is there any evidence to be had law evidence cried alec i should think so you go to big simon chamberlain and find out who's sheriff and we'll get a warrant and run him down heavens a man like that would sell his mother chamberlain looked frankly sceptical and would not budge until aleck had related every circumstance that he knew about agatha's involuntary flight from new york he was all for going to the red house and interviewing agatha herself but aleck refused to let him do that she's worn out and gone to bed you can't see her but it's straight you take my word we must catch that scoundrel and bring him here for identification to be sure there's no mistake and if it is he it'll be hot enough for him chamberlain doubted whether it was the same man and put up objections seriatim to each proposition of Alex, but finally accepted them all he made a point however of going on his quest alone you go back to the red house and go to bed and i'll round up eggs i think i know how the trick can be done alec was stubborn about accompanying chamberlain but the englishman plainly wouldn't have it he told aleck he could do it better alone and led him by the arm back to the old red house where the kitchen door stood hospitably open sally was at work in her pantry the kettle was singing on the stove and the milk had already come from a neighbor's dairy sally's temper may not have been ideal but at least she was not of those who are grouchy before breakfast she served "'Alec and Chamberlain in the kitchen with homely skill, "'giving them both a wholesome and pleasant morning "'after their night of gloom. "'You can't do anything right all day if you start behind hand,' "'she replied when Alec remarked upon her early rising. "'Besides, I was up last night more than once, "'watching for Miss Redmond. "'The young man's sleeping nicely,' she says. "'She went cheerfully about her kitchen work, giving the men her best womanlike and asking nothing in return not even attention they took her service gratefully however and there was enough of eve and sally to know it by the way chamberlain said aleck we must get a telegram off to the family in lynn he wrote up the address and shoved it across sally's red kitchen tablecloth and tell them not to think of coming edgered aleck we don't want any more of a soiree here than we've got now chamberlain undertook to send the message and since he had contracted to catch the criminal of the jeanne d'arc who was eager to be off on his hunt good-bye old man you go to bed and get a good sleep i'll stop at the hotel and leave word for miss rainier and you stay here so i'll know where you are i may want to find you quick if i land that bloomin beggar Thanks said aleck weakly i'll turn in for an hour or so if sally can find me a bed mr chamberlain made several notes on an envelope which he pulled from his pocket gravely thanked sally for her breakfast and lifted his hat to her when he departed aleck dropped into a chair and was stupidly staring at the stove when sally returned from a journey to the pump in the yard you'll like to take a little rest mr van camp she said and i know just the place where you'll not hear a sound from anywhere if you don't mind there not being a carpet i'll go up right away and show you the room before i knead up my bread so she conducted aleck to a big clean attic under the rafters remote and quiet he was exhausted not from lack of sleep he had often borne many hours of wakefulness and hard work without turning a hair but from the jarring of a live nerve throughout the night of anxiety the past and the relationships of youth and kindred were sacred to him and his pain had overshadowed for the hour at least even the newer claims of his love for mlanie reynier chapter seventeen